If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14 together. Today we honor our fathers. We honor the men that have greatly influenced our lives. You know, this morning, um, you know, I, I, I've often been told this, um, that on Mother's Day, the, the sermons are usually very encouraging and very uplifting, and the mamas walk out of the room feeling like they're the greatest moms in the world. Um, on Father's Day, on the other hand, it feels like um, the sermons are hellfire and brimstone, and that every father is a worthless father is how they feel on Father's Day, after, after sermons usually. I want you to know this morning that as men, we probably need that, um, but that's not the kind of message this is, all right? So there's hope for you here that we're not going to just beat you up like, like it seems. And there may be a reason that Father's Day is, is not as, high, as heavily attended as Mother's Day, because Father's Days, are all, people are always pick, picked on, and, and that's probably why the fathers don't come, right? Maybe if we love them on, love on them a little bit more, they'd be here. Um, but, but once again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. We read these words. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You know, this morning as we read those words, we, we kind of read a, a lot of repetition there, don't we? Um, kind of like, John, just get to the point. I mean, why do you have to say fathers, young people, children, fathers, young children? I mean, why don't you just save some ink and just get to the point? Well, there's a reason that John addresses us the way he does this morning. And, and the reason is, is because what he's doing is he is, 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 is sharing with us, as a grandfather would his own children, that, that there are different stages of spiritual maturity. And our message point this morning is a call to spiritual maturity. And what Jan, John is going to address this morning is that there are father figures in the faith, there are young people in the faith, and then there are children. The children will be those that recently came to know Jesus or those that have, may have became a believer 20 years ago, but they haven't grown up in the faith. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. John writes as a grandfather in the faith to his children. He uses masculine pronouns in this morning's passage, but know that this message this morning is for all of us in this room, every man, woman, student, and child. Notice our first point, it is this. Notice the grandfatherly wisdom. We read in verse 12, I'm writing to you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Remember, when John wrote this epistle, he's probably in his mid-80s. And he writes as a man that had witnessed much and seen much, and he's transferring what he has learned to those, um, to all of us and to all of those in the first century that would have received this letter. So he writes with that kind of, of passion. You remember, John wrote a lot. 
We have the Gospel of John, we have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and we have the book of Revelation. And he's writing all of these things for us today as well as the 1st century believers. Um, That's a lot for one man. The thing I love about um, John and the thing I love about grandparents is the transfer of wisdom that they that they pass on. I mean, think back to your grandparents. Um, most of us in this room probably had grandparents that taught us a thing or two about life, right? Probably kind of walked with us along life's highway and, and taught us as we went along. And many of you in here are grandparents, and you do that already. You walk with your grandchildren, and you teach your grandchildren, and you pass on what's up here down to them, right? Now, I came across a few quotes um, dealing with the wisdom of a grandfather. And one of those um, is this, a grandfather is someone with silver in his hair and gold in his heart. Grandfathers are magicians who create wonderful memories for their grandchildren. One person said, one of the most powerful hand clasps is that of a new grandbaby around the finger of a grandfather. You know, there's just something about that little child holding your hand, isn't it? Um, This one I, I like. My grandfather always said that living is like licking honey off a thorn. I I don't know if that was from personal experience or what the deal is, but I think what that's telling us is this, that that life is sweet at times and life is also difficult at times as well. And then the last one here is love is the greatest gift that one generation can leave another. And that is true. Love is a great gift that we can leave another generation, but probably I would want to add to that that Jesus is the greatest gift that we can give another generation, right? Greatest gift that we could ever leave someone. John writes with that kind of wisdom. He writes to every child of God and affirms them as children of God. He says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You know, sometimes it's it's nice to hear an encouraging word from somebody, isn't it? You're having a tough day and someone comes alongside you and just kind of lifts you up and encourages you. That's kind of what John is doing here. John is reminding his readers here that, hey, your sins are forgiven. For his name's sake, your sins have been forgiven. Amen, right? Aren't you glad that your sins have been forgiven? Aren't you glad that you've been set free from the bondage of sin and you've been given the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ? I mean, that's what John is saying here, man. Your sins are forgiven, and they've been forgiven for his name's sake. In John chapter 1, verse 12, in, in, in John's gospel, he penned these words. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, I don't know what your relationship is like with your earthly father, but I I can tell you right now, you have a heavenly father that loves you greatly and dearly, and you are his child. And you're not temporarily his child. You are forever and all of eternity going to be his child. And so John penned those great words back in his gospel. And notice again here, it says, but your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now, you weren't saved for any other sake other than Jesus' name's sake. We weren't saved through any other person. 
It was only through Jesus. I love what the psalmist said in, in Psalm 23. Um, this is a passage of Scripture that all of us are familiar with. It's, it's a passage that we turn to when we need encouragement. But the psalmist um, wrote these words. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know who gets credit for your salvation and my salvation? Lord Jesus Christ gets credit for that, right? Um, Max Lucado um, um, said that he, he, he said that you and I could not handle salvation based upon us. He said because he knows we could not handle it. Man, we're saved because of what Jesus Christ did. His great love for us on the cross. He demonstrated that love for us. We're saved for his name sake. And I love that. So John writes as a grandfather to the children of God, reminding us that because our sins have been forgiven for the sake of God's glory, we are saved. Notice next, John is going to go from addressing all children to addressing us based on where we are in our spiritual walk. So next we see fatherly advice. In verse 13, we read, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. First, John addresses the fathers. Who are these fathers? Man, these are the spiritual rocks of the church. Man, they're the elders, they're the pastors, they're the teachers, they're the key leaders, they're the deacons. They're those that, that we can look to as, as, as being mature individuals in their walk with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. When I think about spiritual fathers, I think about that man right back there, chief. Okay, chief is a man that preached for, for how many years were you a pastor, chief? A bunch. A lot. I mean, he can't even count the years, all right? Um, he was an evangelism director. He was an evangelist. I mean, this man back there ha has seen much in his life and did much for the Lord, and he is a man that I can look to as a father in his faith because he is a man that has grown to the point of maturity spiritually. Now, that is a picture of, of a father in the faith, a person that has grown to the point of maturity spiritually. Now, is there room for growth? Yeah, of course there is. Chiefs are always going to grow up until the um, moment he takes his final breath on this side of eternity, like all of us are going to need to grow spiritually. You know, this past week, um, Connor had a major jaw surgery. Okay, this surgery is a surgery that we knew about for 18 years. When Connor was one week old, um, we went to um, his, his surgeon, and, and the doctor indicated on that day that, that these are all the surgeries that he's going to have. Okay? He's had 18 over the course of his life. But they told us that, that day that he is going to have lip surgery, he was going to have palate surgery, he was going to have a bone graft surgery, he was going to have lip revision surgery, and then he was going to have this jaw surgery. So we've known about this surgery for 18 years. In fact, for the past several years, Connor's gone to um, the doctor, and, and they've been um, a couple times a year, they'll take an x-ray of his wrist because they want to see what those growth plates have been doing. And at the point where those growth plates grew together, they knew that Connor had grown to the point of physical maturity. And so when we got word that, that hey, 
He's grown. Let's schedule the surgery. Um, we began that process. And on Wednesday, as we were walking up toward the hospital, I turned to Danny and I said, you know, we've known about this for 18 years. And she turned to me and she said, yeah, and I'm still not ready. And she, she wasn't ready for what was to come, um, but she also isn't ready to admit that her son is 18 and a graduate from high school and, and, and has reached the point of maturity that he has. But my son grew to the point of physical maturity. That is a picture of what it should look like for all of us in this room, that we grow spiritually to the point of spiritual maturity. Again, John wrote, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Mature believers not only known by the Father, but they have an intimate knowledge of the Father because they have a relationship with the Father. They have grown from being hand-fed to being able to feed themselves and other people. People. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, we read, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what the, what, what the writer is saying here is that there needs to come a point in our life when we stop relying upon milk, stop relying upon other people to feed us, and we move on to solid food where we are able to feed ourselves and chew on God's words ourselves and even regurgitate God's word ourselves. Yes, we still need people in our life that can invest in us, but we've got to get to the point where we begin to invest in the lives of other people. The writer also shared in Hebrews 6.1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. We need to move to the point of spiritual maturity. Where are you at this morning? If you had to evaluate where you are spiritually this morning, where would you be? Are you a spiritual father or a spiritual mother? Have you grown to the point of maturity? You know, Gregory Brown um, indicates several, several um, marks of a growing Christian. One of those that he talks about is a mature Christian is marked by abounding love. In Philippians 1.9 we read, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. What Paul is telling us here is that we need to be growing in the area of love, our love for God and our love for one another. You know, we should be loving people more today than we've ever loved people before. You turn the television on and you can see that there's a lot of people that are in desperate need of some love, right? And love, uh, they need the love of Jesus. They need the love of the church embracing them with the good news of salvation. So a mature Christian is marked by abounding love. A mature Christian is marked by growing knowledge. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You and I need to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. We need to grow in our knowledge of God, and we need to grow to the point of spiritual maturity with God. A mature Christian is also marked by spiritual discernment. James 
James 1.5, we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Wisdom is the evidence of a growing faith. You realize that, right? Us being able to discern between right and wrong is evidence of our growing relationship with God the Father. A mature Christian is also marked by spiritual integrity. In Philippians 1.10 we read, So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Purity and blamelessness is a is a picture of spiritual maturity. We need to get to the point where we are above reproach, where we are people of integrity, where we are walking intimately with God the Father and we are pursuing after God and not pursuing after the things of this world. Also, we see a mature Christian is marked by good works. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works. Okay, we're saved by grace, but we are saved unto good works. What is a mark of a growing Christian? That they are doing good works, that they are being the hands and feet of Christ, that they are going across the street and around the world and telling others about the good news of salvation. A mature Christian is also marked by glorifying God. The mature life will glorify God here on earth and will glorify God throughout all of eternity. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we read, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Everything that we do should be done to the glory of God. That is the marking of a mature believer, that we glorify God in all that we do. Whether that be driving our car, whether that be conducting a meeting, whether that be sitting in a classroom, everything that we do, we do to the glory of God. That is what maturity looks like. Also, we go and advance the gospel. We go and we tell other people about the good news of salvation. That is another mark of a growing believer. That is what a spiritual father or spiritual mother looks like. Notice next, there is a generational transmission. In verse 13 and 14 we read, I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You know, what does a good father do? A good father does what a good grandfather does. They pass on what they have learned to other to their children and to their grandchildren and to other people. Think about some of the things that we teach our kids. Okay, when, when they were young, what were some of the things we taught them? We taught them to walk, to talk. We taught them right from wrong. We taught them manners, to say please and thank you, not to hit, bite, and steal. We taught them how to respect others and to tell the truth. Taught them about good hygiene. You know, that sometimes we got to keep on teaching that one. Um, but we teach them hundreds upon hundreds of things when they are young. And a lot of those are elementary in nature. But as they get older, we teach them more complex things. We teach them how to ride a bike. We teach them how to drive a car. We teach them how to change a tire. We teach them about hard work. We teach them, or we send them off to school, or we homeschool them. 
so that academically they can be prepared for the world that is before them, right? And if we train them up or help them get trained academically, that is a picture also of what we should do with their spiritual development. We should train and equip them spiritually. In Deuteronomy, what do we read? Moses talks about how we need to train our children anywhere we go and everywhere we go, whether we walk down life's roads or whether we're sitting at the dinner table, we should be teaching and equipping our children. As our children grow, they grow away from being dependent upon us to being independent, right? I mean, think about that. I mean, you, you hope that your children will grow to the point where they don't need us 24-7, right? They become independent. That is a picture of what spiritual development looks like as well. We come together on Sunday morning on, and different times during the week, and we are discipled and we're equipped, but that shouldn't be the only feeding that we receive of God's Word, right? We should be at the point in our spiritual development where we are growing beyond what we learn in this room and in our growth group room. We should be growing daily in the gracing knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we get a picture of a spiritual child. No, a spiritual child, they could be 7 or 70. It doesn't matter. When they become a Christ follower, they become a child of God. The key is not to remain at that state, to grow. A 70-year-old that, that recently become, became a Christ convert, they can still grow into young men of faith and, and become a spiritual father of faith. It takes hard work. It takes studying God's Word, but we can all get to that point. Where are you spiritually in your development? Are you a father who is feeding others, or are you a child who is still being fed? Notice next, John talks about young men in the faith, okay? Um, in, in verses 13 and 14, again, we read, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So notice these young men. Notice some characteristics about them. The first one is this. The young are overcomers. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Here's what we know about these young people. These young people are strong against sin. They avoid sin like it is the plague. When they see sin lurking around the corner, they run from it. Second, um, Second Timothy 2.22, to flee the youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's what all of us should do. When sin comes a-lurking, we should go a-running, right? We shouldn't run towards sin. We should flee from sin. And that's a picture of these young people here. It, right here, um, we read, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. How have they been over to, able to overcome the evil one? Because they have spent much time in God's Word, and they have learned right from wrong. They have learned to distinguish between a sin and a non-sin, and they have run from that, and they have fleed from that. Another thing about these um, young people is they are considered to be frontline workers. They are the, 
they are out there fighting the battles of life on a daily basis. They're sharing Jesus with others, and they are reaping a harvest as they see person after person place their faith in Jesus Christ. They're the ones that rise early and put on the full armor of God. They're the ones that are deflecting the fiery darts that the devil is hurling our way. Now know this. All of us in this room should fall into this category of being young people. All right, yes, we, are, we can still be fathers who equip, but we also are young in that we are in the battle that is before us. We are fighting this unseen spiritual battle. We are fighting against the devil and those fiery darts he's hurling our way. We are fighting for the sake of our children and their, their spiritual development. We are fighting for the sake of our world and our country that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. We are in the battle regardless of where we stand spiritually this morning, whether you are um, a father or not, you are still a part of the battle. Daily, we should rise and put on the full armor of God. The young are overcomers. They have overcome the evil one, and they continue to overcome the evil one because they are firmly grounded in the Word of God. Notice also, the young are strong. We read, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. This word strong means to have strength greater than the average person. This person has developed their spiritual muscles. Like an athlete that is training for the big game, these young men and women uh, have been training for the battles that are raging in front of them. Not only are they training for the battle, but man, they're at the top of their game. I mean, think about an Olympic athlete. When an Olympic athlete trains for the Olympics, before they step onto the track or before they enter into um, the, 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 the ring or whatever it might be, they're at the very top of their, of their physical conditioning, aren't they? If they're not at the top of their game, they shouldn't be in the Olympics to begin with, right? As young people, young in the faith, fighters for the faith, we should be at the top of our spiritual game as well. Think about the great faith champions of yesterday. Think about, um, you know, in Hebrews 11, here's what we, we read about of these great champions. Abel knew God. Enoch walked with God. Noah demonstrated faith in God. Abraham obeyed God. Sarah trusted God. Moses was used by God. Joshua would be courageous for God. David was a warrior for God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood for God. Daniel kneeled before God and prayed. The disciples were equipped by God. Paul took the gospel of God to the nations, okay, and hundreds of thousands of other believers um, throughout human history have stood strong for God. They were at the top of their games, and they were able to be used of God to change the world that they lived in. You and I need to be at the top of our game also because we've got to change the world that we live in today. Our world is in desperate need of Jesus, and we need to take Jesus to the world. Notice, notice also, the, the younger overcomers, they are strong, and the last sub-point is this, the word abides in them. This person is growing strong because the word of God is embedded in them. You know, this word abide here means to settle down and to make its home. 
What a great picture of, of what God's Word should do in our life. It should be planted, it should take root, it should grow up, and it should bear fruit. Okay, that is what it looks like for the Word of God to abide within the heart of a believer. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, that you and I would have the same kind of resolve that the psalmist did. That we're going to store up God's word in our heart that we might not sin against God. That is what a spiritual athlete does. They train, they train, and they train and they prepare and prepare and prepare for the battles that are set before them. John Bunyan wrote this. He, speaking of the Bible, he said, This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. Aren't those great words? I mean, again, this book will keep you from sin. If you and I study God's Word and hide God's Word in our heart, guess what? It's going to keep us from sin. However, if we don't read God's Word and don't study God's Word, sin will keep us from this book. Let's be men and women that study God's Word and apply God's Word to our life. Notice what A.W. Tozer wrote. He said, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. He is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wills to be. You and I in this room, we're as close to God this morning as we want to be. If, you, if you're content with where you're at, then, then that, that, that's on you. Um, if you're not content, like I'm not content, then you and I need to spend more time in God's Word, right? We need to be growing daily in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our spiritual development, our preparation for life, it's on us because we are the ones that determine how close we want to be with God. Holy Spirit's already in us. We've got as much God as we're ever going to have, okay? But us getting to know our God, that's on us as we develop our relationship with Him. Again, where are you in your relationship with this, this morning with the Lord? Are you a child still relying upon others to feed you? Are you a young person who's out fighting life's battles for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a fatherly figure or a motherly figure who are, who's investing in other people and making disciples of other people? I hope that all of us in this room fall into the young and the fatherly. And if we're not there, we need to get there. And we can get there when we allow God's Word to abide in us and when we allow God's Word to bear fruit um, in us and, and get out of us, when we become doers of the Word of God. So in closing, fathers, mothers, students, and children, let's be men and women that love others well, that grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, daily. Let us grow in wisdom. Let us become people of integrity. Let us demonstrate good works by being the hands and feet of Christ. Let us glorify God, and let us go and tell the nations about Jesus Christ. We can do that, right? None of us are content 
with where we're at, right? I hope not. I hope all of us want to be better and stronger and grow closer to the Lord. Let's fight for that. Let's work hard to get to that point. You know, I don't know what kind of decision you need to make this morning. Um, you may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. Well, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins and to cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Become a child of God today. How better to celebrate Father's Day than to become a child of our Heavenly Father? You may be here this morning and you just are recognizing where you're at that, hey, I'm not where I need to be spiritually. I've got to work harder. I've got to study harder. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to fight harder. And if you're in that case, man, let's just spend some time praying, asking God to, to, to lead us and guide us and, and strengthen us as we pursue after him more and more. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a, in a closing prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you. Father, thank you for allowing us to spend some time this morning in your word, studying it, Father. Lord, I think all of us hopefully will admit that we're not where we need to be. We can always be, we can always increase in our growth by growing closer to you. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we enter into this time of invitation, if there's someone here that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. I pray that if there's someone here this morning that just needs to come to this altar and kneel and pray, they'll do that, Father. If they need to talk to me, I'll be over here. I'd love to share with them more about how they can grow or about how they can enter into a relationship with you. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.